All right. Good morning, church family. How you doing? Well, as we are quickly approaching the culmination of the Let There Be Light series and our light project groundbreaking offering, we thought we would start this sermon doing things a little differently with the first 10 minutes being a frequently asked questions of a town hall meeting. And so here on stage is my lovely wife, Stephanie. I'm still hopeful this will be the first time on stage ever that she gives me a kiss before she leaves. Has it happened in the last two services? Not holding out on that. Um, Kendall Laughlin, our amazing executive pastor. And Blair Illingworth, our church comptroller. Kendall and Steph, you can tell who the favorite of the church is. Not about favorites. So here is... Uh, Question number one, this is definitely the most common question we've gotten, uh, but also the hardest question. So Kendall, we're going to give this one to you. What right. is the uh, timeline for the light project? When do you expect to be finished? Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. Well, uh, we are all wanting to know the answer to that question, Robert. And it is actually a, a really good question. So we don't have a specific timeline. What we have are several processes that are going on at the same time. So let me kind of bring you into the different processes that are happening because it's going to explain more uh, as things accelerate when we'll be when we'll be in the space. So the first process that is going on is what's going on inside these walls over the last few weeks and next weekend. This is the funding phase of the light project, right? So this is the financial process. So next weekend. November 3rd and 4th, that is our groundbreaking offering where we're all going to come and say, okay, above and beyond my tithe, my regular giving, this is the uh, commitment that I'm making for the Light Project for the next two years, right? And so what we're believing is that $7 million is committed next weekend. Come on. And what that's going to do, that's going to allow Blair and I to go to our banking partners then those relationships we manage and say, okay, this is what our church is committed. This is what we already have. And then we'll start that financial process of putting everything together. And so that's why that weekend, next weekend is so important. So we can accelerate and move that forward in the financial process. Another concurrent process that's going on is the city process. So this has been going on for months and there's been so many encouraging mm -hmm. and favorable meetings with the city of San Diego and specifically the community surrounding the church building. Uh, there was a meeting last week where we had a representative there and got a favorable report. So here's what we need you praying for now is this Tuesday is what's called our preliminary review. So this is not the final meeting by, by any means, but this is the first meeting well, we'll sit down with city staff. We'll look through the plans, and they'll make their comments and notes. And so we're praying for God's favor over that meeting. And, of course, we'll also definitely comply and honor the different processes that the city has in place. So after, after a few of these types of meetings, we'll have a better idea of what the city process is going to take and how that will accelerate for the timeline. And then the third and perhaps the most obvious thing that's happening is the building project timeline itself, right? That's another process that's in place. And so once we get the financial process moving forward, once the city process is moving forward, then we will uh, be able to get with our builder and have that deadline of when we expect the facility to be constructed by. And we have a wonderful partnership with our builder, Christian Builder in San Diego, and uh, they've built over 30 church buildings in this county. So we think they'll they'll give us a great uh, 
uh, expertise there, and we're really excited about that partnership. So those are the three processes that are happening, and as those move forward, we'll update everyone on the timeline as soon as we have something. Well said. Very good. All right. Here, here's a question that we've been getting. I love this question, and we'll give it to you, Blair. What happens if we raise more than the $7 million goal? <clears throat> oh, praise God. If we raise seven, more than $7 million, absolutely. And I love this question. Um, as the comptroller, uh, one thing that I've been very encouraged by is just the, the outpouring of generosity thus far. In the process. So many people have already uh, given generously of what they have and have pledged to give over the next two years. Um, it is, it's frankly blowing me away. And as I look around the room and see the different faces, I Here, go I, up a little higher as I, uh, holding up a little higher. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Great. Um, and just looking around the room, uh, I'm just blessed, um, and so encouraged by everybody's participation thus far and potentially, um, where this question may be coming up is if there's a, uh, there's a commitment card in the seat back of all the, of all the chairs in front of you. And if you pull that out now, I'd like to bring your attention to it briefly. It's on the big brochure. So there's a brochure in Correct. all the backs. And then on that, if you want to pull out the, the very front, it's fastened to it. That's there great. you go. Um, and on the, it's a two-sided commitment card. One side is what you will be filling out and turning in next week uh, during the groundbreaking offering. Um, but the flip side of that is what we call the giving ladder. And that's um, if anyone has gone through that and tallied up, if we get, if we check off all of those gifts and we, and all that comes in, it, it totals more than $7 million. And what I want to, what I want to say about that is we as a church have prayed, investigated, and, um, and really done our homework on what it would cost to build this project. And our best, uh, projections thus far are $13 million. So if, we raise over $7 million, that just translates to freeing up more dollars in our monthly budget to doing ministry in the community. So my desire, I think our desire should be a debt-free building, but we are also pragmatic in knowing that we might need to finance some of it. But it's important to reiterate our belief and, well, we really want to see this thing be debt-free. So uh, let me shout amen if you want this thing to be debt-free. So. What I would really love is, um, is for everybody to turn in your commitment cards next week, and, and really 100% participation has always been our, our heart. So um, the more money we raise, the less money we have to pay towards debt, and the more money can be released into the ministries of the church when we get into our building. So praise the Lord. Amen. Blair does our finances with incredible integrity and faithfulness. So thank you so much, Blair. All right, next question. We've been getting this. What is the main way we can be praying for the Light Project? I'm going to give this to my lovely wife, Stephanie. Oh, I just hit my mouth. Um, sorry. Uh, great. So that is a great question, and thank you for even asking that question. Okay, thank you for being... Actually, I do want to say a big thank you um, for being a people that pray. And, you know, so many of you guys I know are contending in your FaceTime with the Lord. You're sending us words you're feeling for the Light Project, and we love that. And uh, so many of you guys are coming to our Thursday night prayers, contending for the Light Project, giving it all you got. And I'm so proud of our college students. Way to go, guys. 24 hours Come of prayer. On. Incredible. <laughs> Uh, we, we need that. We need that fiery um, engine in our midst. So thank you so much. I would say three main things. And, and I love that question because I think it is good to be 
strategic as we're praying so that we'd really all be aligned and, hey, let's pray for these same things as we move forward. So three things, freedom, finances, and favor, okay? Freedom, you can write that down if you're serious, you want to pray. Freedom, finances, and favor. So the first one, freedom. God is at work in our hearts Mm -hmm. in this church. And you've probably felt that. If you're if you're part of All People's Church, you've probably felt that, oh, there, this is just a season where there's more that God's saying, hey, I want you to lay that bear before me and let me deal with that. And God's purifying us from, from sin, from mindsets. He's tapping into our finances and going, okay, it's all mine anyway. So, you know, what do you really think about the finances? So, um, so I would just, I would say pray that all of us allow for God to do a greater work of freedom in our lives. And, um, you know, when God was preparing the Israelites for the promised land, he spoke to Joshua and he said, Joshua, tell the people, consecrate themselves for tomorrow. You, I will do amazing things. And God wants to do amazing things. As we enter our promised land, God's going to do amazing things. Mm-hmm. And we want to be prepared. Mm-hmm. And so we want to respond to God in this season. Let him purify our hearts. And so freedom. Second thing, uh, finances. We need money. So we need to pray that we get the finances to build this thing, right? So, uh, you know, I, I was so proud of one of our pastors the other day sent Robert, a picture of his car. And he said, I'm selling it. I'm giving it to the Light Project. And I just was so deeply proud. I'm like, yes, that is the kind of pastors we have that are willing to let God search anything and go, this is what I'm asking you to give. If everyone obeys what God is asking of them, we're going to do this thing. And we're going to see the supernatural happen in the journey. And I believe that People are going to come through this city as well. It's not just going to be us as a people, but I, I believe people will come through, visit, and they they will feel um, just a pull in their spirit to give and have inheritance in what's happening here. So let's pray for that as well financially. Um, thirdly, favor. Okay, so we've gotten to this point because of the favor of God. It, it was the favor of God that even gave us a chance at the table to buy this land. Mm-hmm. It's It's incredible. And we need to keep praying and believing for the favor of God to make way for us. Someone's got to have favor on us at this next city meeting to want to build, want our building to be built on that land, you know? So in every meeting, we need someone to have favor on us and we need the neighborhood around to have favor on us as well. I I love this story just real quickly. Um, A couple weeks ago when Larry Kreider was here preaching, uh, you know, and he was sharing at our leaders advance, Robert was in one of our pre-meetings, Robert was just sharing, sharing some things. And as Larry was listening, he said, Robert, as soon as you started talking, I had, I got a word from the Lord for you guys. And it's Psalm 512. And this is what it is. It says, surely Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Later that week, he got um, a text from another pastor in town, and he said, Robert, I have a word for you guys, for your church, and it's Psalm 512. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. The favor of God is on us, guys, but we don't want to take that lightly. We want to keep praying that into this process. Amen. Speaking of the Light Project, um, we have been handing our children these 
these light bulbs as a piggy bank. Now, we know it's not the best piggy bank in the world if you try to fit any money in it. So bring a baggie along with it. Um, it's better for candy. That's why we put candy. Anyway, but we, we would encourage you next week, our groundbreaking offering. We want our kids to be a part of this, yeah. guys. They are a part of this thing, too. And so have them please bring these next week so that they can give um, it's 100% participation, right? That means our kids, too. We're also going to have a party. So they, I, everyone loves a party. So they're going to get a free T-shirt, if you can just show that. Um, our kids are going to get a free T-shirt, bring their, bring their offering, and we're going to party. Awesome. Way to go. All right. So here, here's another one we've been hearing, and I'll take this one. How will having a big facility on the highway change us? Big question. Here's the answer. Our vision, our passion for Jesus, our values will never change. Uh, we, we are going to be the, the same people, but here's the best way I can illustrate it. When Steph and I and our family moved to, to San Diego, over the first five years, we had to move houses 12 times in five years. It was crazy. But we were always the same people with the same vision for Jesus and the same values of the kingdom. But all of a sudden, in a moment, this opportunity arose for us to own this big house that seemed like too good to be true, but it was a, a foreclosed home and God kept opening miracle doors. And what it did, we got in there and it allowed us to have stability and actually have more time and space to focus on what God's actually called us to do. So that's what it did for us. And that's what a facility is going to do for us. We're going to have the same vision, the same values. But if you've been with us over the, these last 10 years, we have moved so many times. We have spent so much time in chaos just trying to scramble. By God's grace, he's made us strong. But now we're going to have more time and space and, and, and stability to actually focus on who God has called us to be. And to do what God has called us to do. And so that is what this is going to, to facilitate for us. Thank you so much. Let's give these guys a hand. Stephanie, do you want to give me a kiss as you leave? No. If you stick around long enough, on probably our 50th anniversary, Steph will give me a kiss as she leaves the stage. So I, I, am, I am really so thankful as a pastor on how much people have owned this project in their hearts. And uh, this yesterday, I actually got a picture and thought, wow, now I have never seen someone embody this light project so much. Can you, um, there was a costume party for the college group last night. And this guy showed up as the light project. You see the light bulbs on him? And on his sleeve, he had Matthew 5.16, walked around shining a light. People said, what are you? He says, I'm the light project. <laughs> hey, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? <laughs> so today I want to talk about our spiritual family's corporate calling. Our spiritual family's corporate calling in this season and what I've been thinking about is in a, in a natural family, it's made up of individuals who have very distinctive gifts and callings. So for example, my daughter 
Hallie, our oldest, has a real gifting for dance and drama and feels very called to express herself and to glorify God in the arts. My son, Hudson, is a very gifted athlete and feels called to, to really be a light in the athletic world. If you uh, know Stephanie, you know that she's actually an artist. She went to school to study art. She's an incredible painter. They each have different giftings in our family, but when we come together, we're the Herber family, and if you sat at our dining room table, you'd see up on the wall our Herber family motto, which expresses our corporate calling, and it's hunger for God humble ourselves, honor each other, and hardworking. That's the four H's for the Herbers. Now, for us as all peoples, we are comprised of many unique individuals. You look around this room, people from over 55 different countries, all kinds of backgrounds, and very different giftings. And we, we love that. When we come together, we have a corporate family calling. And in this season... As we've termed it the Light Project, we understood that God was calling us to be a light to the city, a light to the nations, and a light to generations. A light to the city, a light to the nations, and a light for generations. And so I want to unpack that because it comes out of this scripture that is so beautiful. Isaiah 60, 1 through 5, it says this, arise, shine for your Thank you, five people. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, and all you had to do was turn on the news for two minutes this weekend, and you would say, yes, darkness is covering the earth. But what is God's solution? But the Lord rises upon you. And his glory appears over you. And nations will come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. Jesus is the light of the world. But he says that his plan for bringing light into the whole earth is by shining on you. And when you start to shine, it says nations will come. Sons and daughters will be brought from afar. And when you see this, your heart is going to swell and throb with joy. You are going to be overwhelmed with joy when God starts doing his word in your life. So let's unpack this point by point, a light to the city. We are called, All People's Church, to be a light to the city. You are the light of the world. It's back there on this back sign, Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. This was spoken by Jesus in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And what scholars believe is he was actually standing on a hill underneath the city of Safed. And so as he's speaking this, probably over his shoulder, those that were listening to the sermon could actually see him gesturing back to a city up on a hill, which was so common for Judean cities because for safety, they were put up on a hill. You've seen movies 
where people are wrecked out into the desert. You just saw it in this last Star Wars movie. They, they crash land in the desert and they're dying of thirst. It all seems lost and they're walking and all of a sudden they crest a hill and in the distance, it's hope. It's a city, a place where you can find water, a place where you can find food, a place where you can find help. This was the Near Eastern mindset of what a city was. A city was a place of refuge. A city was a place where you could go and be safe. Cities were made with, with high walls around them. I, I love what one commentary says. It says the church is often called the city of God. In fact, one of the greatest works of theology is known as the city of God. And it must be here observed that his people are not merely compared to a city, but a city upon a hill. Many of you know the place where we are building our church is named Del Cerro. Del Cerro means of the hill. We are literally, whoa, you got, someone caught that. We are literally putting a light on a hill. It's beautiful. So many of us, uh, we, we have these different views of the city because of what the enemy has done in cities. But I want you to, to, to listen to what is spoken from this book called Why Cities Matter to God. It says city building was prized in the ancient Near Eastern world. In the Bible, the building of cities was associated with order, stewardship, cultivating the earth's riches and resources, and bearing God's image in the world through the creation of life and beauty. Some scholars believe that Genesis 1, 26 through 28, where God actually says, rule the earth and subdue it, was speaking forth of what man would do as he created cities, places of advanced learning, architecture, science, discovery, commerce, safety, and security for people. You know, cities actually were God's intent. And some of you might not believe me, but let me just tell you that all of earth is going to culminate in a city. It started in a garden, but it'll culminate in a city. Listen to what Revelation 21 says. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. Do you know that created history is culminating in a city. Uh, everyone knows this verse. For I know the plans for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. But do you know the context of where that verse was spoken to a people? Let me read the preceding verses. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives. Many young guys are like, yes, Lord. For your sons and give your daughters in marriage. Not yet. Uh, so that they may too have sons and daughters. Increase the number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Do you know that as Christians, we are supposed to seek the prosperity of our cities? We need to bless our city. We want to believe for our city to be great. To which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Do you know that you're called to pray for your city? Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. If it prospers, you too will prosper. So what is this saying? God loves cities. God wants cities to prosper. Why? Because God loves people. This is our calling. I, I just want to tell you, I love San Diego. Don't you love San Diego? 
Oh my goodness. I, I love traveling around the world. And people are like, where are you from? I said, San Diego. <laughs> and everyone's always like, oh man, you're lucky. I'm like, I'm blessed. Right? We are so blessed to live here. We have the most beautiful beaches. We have these incredible attractions, Balboa Park and the zoo. Right? And, and, and we have incredible entertainment. We, we have incredible food wonderful technology, all these technology companies. We have awesome military bases and all these incredible military personnel that are coming in. We have all these hospitals. Do you know that we have 49 institutions of higher learning, universities and colleges? 49. That's amazing, right? San Diego is amazing. I love it. Here's something we found when we were moving here. We did the religion research and found that 94% of people did not belong to Christian churches here. 94%. And then what we found out in this last year is that 0.5% of people in this five-mile radius around this building, only 0.5% of people are in any church on a Sunday morning worshiping God. 0.5. With as amazing as San Diego is, can you imagine how much more beautiful it will be when people find the God who created this place? Can a people change a city? Can can a a small group of people change a city? I love this story. A man named Arthur Stace, he was an alcoholic. He was known as a drunk. He had been a criminal. He had been in and out of jail. And then he was in a service where the gospel was preached and he gave his life to Jesus. And what was placed in his heart was this understanding that what we do for Jesus will impact eternity. And so this simple, actually functionally illiterate man who could barely write his name went around and felt led to write the word eternity on the sidewalks and streets and highways and byways of Sydney, Australia. He didn't just do this for one year. He did this for decades. And as he did this, Sydney became synonymous with the word eternity. So much so that when the Olympics were held in Sydney in the early 2000s, the city decided to do this. Look at this picture. The city decided to put the word eternity on their main bridge, as the nations came to Sydney, this was the message that they got up in lights. Sydney has become known with the word eternity. Can a city be impacted by a small group of people or even by one person boldly giving everything for Jesus? The answer is yes. And as amazing as San Diego is, I think that God wants it to be even more known as what it was named. Do you know what San Diego was named after? San Diego de Acala, a missionary with a heart for the nations of the world. We are named after a missionary who had a broken heart to get the name of Jesus to the nations of the world. And I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Because secondly, we're not just called to be a light to the city. We're called to be a light to the nations. We're called to be a light to the nations. Isaiah 49, 6 It is too light a thing that you should be a servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a 
as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. I've had an opportunity to travel to dozens and dozens of nations, and I love being in different nations and experiencing their culture and seeing the, the beauty of their different people. But I've also had my heart ripped out as I've seen the pain in different countries. I'll never forget landing in Calcutta, India, and getting in a taxi and driving for miles, and the whole time I drove, I saw people just lined living on the streets, literally living on the sidewalks, not a few, but hundreds, most of which were almost naked and maybe having just one little cardboard thing to lay on. Why? Because they were known as untouchables and believed that they were paying for the fate that they had lived in their last life and therefore should not be helped because of this intrinsic societal evil that had gotten into the fabric of that society that instead of believing that all people have worth, these people had no worth, so we shouldn't help them. And I would walk out on the streets and I'd be flocked by little children, many of which were completely naked, they had nothing, and they were pleading with me just to give them my water bottle. Don't those people deserve to know that they have worth? In Jesus. I'll never forget being in the Middle East in a oppressively hot time of year and walking and seeing these women who had to walk paces behind the men in these full length, head to toe burkas. You could only see their eyes. They were like burlap, oppressively hot, and they couldn't even look up at us. They, they, because why? Because Jesus was not in that culture saying these women are made in the image of God and they deserve to be free. Or this summer being in Bali, Indonesia and having all these children surround us on the beach and finding out that they had been sent from their families and their villages sent so they could make money, but now they were being exploited by human trafficking and sexual exploitation. Don't they deserve to know a loving father who has a plan for their life? I believe that all people deserve to receive the light of Jesus. They all deserve to hear about his goodness and to know that they have worth. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, he uplifts people. He fills their heart with love and joy and he sets people free. And that is the calling of San Diego. Uh, San Diego, named after San Diego Acala, started as a mission. Can you put that up? This is the San Diego de Acala mission. It's actually the emblem for our light project. Why? Because this is the prophetic destiny of this city. Do you know that San Diego is known as the mother of missions? Because Hunepera Sarah, this man with his heart for the world to know Christ, showed up and he and some of his, his brothers, they went and started San Diego de Acala. And then they, from here, went and started San Clemente, San Juan Capistrano. They started San Jose, Santa Barbara, San Francisco. 21 missions birthed out of this place. I believe God wants to do it again. You, you might think you just moved here for the weather. 
You might think, well, I just got restationed here because of the military. You might just think, oh, I was just born here. No, God had a purpose, and it was to raise up a people to be a light to the nations. That is our redemptive call. And so when we build this building, it's going to be like these military bases that are sending people around the nations, but we're sending them for the kingdom of God. And this building will be a launching pad. To be a part of all peoples isn't just to be a part of a city-reaching church. We've already started all peoples Tijuana. We've already started all peoples Stellenbosch, South Africa. We're about to launch all peoples Moldova in Europe. We're about to launch all peoples in the Middle East this summer. We're about to launch all peoples in Indonesia this summer. And we're just getting started. This is the call. We're to call to start a launching pad to the nations of the world. All the while having prayer go up. Covering these people and the nations. And lastly, we're called to be a light to generations, Philippians 2.15, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We're called to be a light to a generation, but not just one generation. God's heart is always for his people to think generationally Look at Deuteronomy 7. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now skip to verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps commandments to a thousand generations. We don't think about generations often in America. We're so lost in the now and the immediacy. But can I just tell you, my life is a product of someone who thought generationally. Many of you in this room have had hard lives. You'd say, I've struggled just to make it. I've struggled to survive. Can I tell you, that's the story of my great-grandfather. My great-grandfather was orphaned. But instead of just deciding, well, I just need to be taken care of and I deserve a handout, he moved to a little city called Round Rock, Texas, place where I was born. And, and there he joined a church and got a part of a community. And then he gave his life investing in a next generation so they wouldn't have to go through the hardships he did. He served on the school board. He served the city. And he raised his family to think generationally. And therefore, when my grandfather was born, his son was born, what my grandfather did was he went and he started a large orphanage so that people wouldn't have to experience what my great-grandfather experienced. My grandfather also became the mayor of the city. So in one generation, it went from orphan to mayor. And my grandfather thought about how do I bless the city? He actually brought the first highway through our city. He helped the schools become great. And he set aside, he took a rough piece of land and made it our home and our, our little ranch. And, and all of my family had houses and, and we grew up there. And so I didn't have to grow up with the same desperation and the same needs that my great-grandfather did. I instead grew up dreaming about making a contribution. Now, as we started this light project, I felt led to go and study that church that my great-grandfather, my grandfather went to and then I grew up in. And here's what I found. In 1847, three young men left the, the comfort of New York to go to the wilderness of Texas <laughs> and to preach the gospel. One of them was named Robert. I thought that was pretty cool. 
They went to the, preach the gospel, and as they boldly preached, people came to Christ, and eight families got together and said, we're going to sacrifice. Because they were living on the frontier, but they said, we're going to sacrifice, and we're going to give our time, and we're going to give our energy and our resources to build a church. And so they built a church in 1847, and that was the church that my orphan great-grandfather came into at the turn of the century and found community. And that was the church then that my grandfather was raised in. And that was the church that in the 1950s, my mom gave her life to Jesus in. And that was the church that in the early 1980s, as a boy, I walked down the aisle and made Jesus my Lord and Savior. And that is the church that in 2018 is stronger than ever. 170 years later, and I look back and say thank you to those eight families who I have no idea who they were, that they sacrificed and made a commitment so that my whole family line, generations in my family could know Jesus. But now it comes to us, because I believe that's what God wants to do with this people. I I believe that God is calling us to do the same thing because we started as a little church plant. And I don't know if you know this, but the statistics aren't usually good for church plants. Some studies show that only one out of five church plants survive. But God, by God's grace, we have it to survive, but God has blessed us generously. And then if a church survives and if it's very healthy, the average healthy church will last for 30 years. That's one generation. But can I just tell you, I believe God is setting us up to last for generations. So that in 50, 50 years from now, your kids and your great-grandkids will look back and say, I am so thankful that my parents and my great-grandparents sacrificed. And if, if Jesus doesn't come back in our lifetime, in 100 years, your, your, your great-grandkids and your great-great-grandkids will look back and say, I'm so thankful for, for what my forefathers did, thinking past them, thinking generationally, so I could have a foundation to know Jesus and to make him known. And, and maybe not just 50 or 100, but maybe in 150 years, people who have no idea who we were, but they'll look back and say, in 2018, a group of people got together and they sacrificed and they lived with a bigger vision for this than themselves. And now I know Jesus and I am blessed and I am set up to change the world because of what those people did in 2018. Would you stand up with me? All People's Church, God has called us to be a light to the city, a light to the nations and a light to generations. I am humbled that he would pick this group of people to partner with him to do something so wonderful. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking that you would continue to let this mission be in our minds and our hearts. And I pray that you'd prepare us for next Sunday, that we would really spend time, each person in here, we're believing for 100% participation. I, play, I pray that each person in here would seek you as to what to give generously to you, what to give, what kind of two-year commitment to make. And Lord, I am believing that we will build a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. 
And God, that you would use this place as a launching pad to the nations and that generations, thousands of people would look back and say, thank you for that decision made that will impact eternity. And Lord, we say it's all about you. It's all for your glory, Lord Jesus. We love you, Father. We love you, Holy Spirit, what you're doing in our midst.